Hello and welcome to episode four of the Emerald Games Cast. My name is Nolan. With me is... Uh, I'm Alex. And? I am Andrea. And we're back. We're finally all here. The gang's the, all here, yeah. For the first time since our pilot episode. How are you guys doing? Angry. Tired. Yeah. Melancholy. Yeah, it's midterms, but I also have some thoughts to say about Days Gone. Thank you for bringing that up. Hold on, there we go. (laughs) Alex is a step ahead of us here. (laughs) As usual, we open with releases. What Alex is talking about is this game that just came out. Today is the 26th, right? Uh, Yes. Came out today, comes out today, Days Gone. And you said you had some thoughts. Hit me up with them. Okay, so Days Gone is uh, actually made in Bend. It's made in the Sony Bend studio. It's set in Bend. Um... And I don't know how anyone could be excited for it other than those reasons. Mm, that's that's a harsh way it to is, put it. It is. But everyone, everyone, me included, we're sick of zombies and the story looks boring. Yeah. But to, to, to back up again, for anyone that doesn't know, like Alex said, Studio Bend is the game, is the publisher, not publisher, developer that made this. They're mm-hmm. owned by mm-hmm. Sony. So this is the first this part. This is a, yeah, it's a PS4 exclusive. I want to describe it as like a, what you would expect to see out of a zombie game in like 2012 that's the thing like yeah. it looks like world war z as a game this game if this game had came, come out like a couple years ago it probably would have been fine yeah so it's not something that we've played but i i do think it is relevant because um like i just put a story in Daily a little while ago about a game called gone home which is one of oregon's kind of it's our baby and a fantastic games. games oregon fantastic really... article by the way that was really good thank you yeah um, Oregon doesn't really have a lot of games that are one set in Oregon, two made in Oregon. Um, this is a pretty interesting milestone, a first party Sony game with a big budget coming out set in our state. I mean, there are some games that are set in Oregon. The only two I can think of are artsy fartsy walking simulators. They're, they're great. We've they're got, great. we've got Gone Home. Um, Life is Strange. Life is Strange set in like a coastal town. That's right. Alan Wake that. is set in sort of a Stephen King inspired version of uh, like middle Oregon. Isn't Alan Wake I in Washington? In Maine. No, I thought that was in Maine, wasn't it? Those are all the same state. <laughs> all three of those. Not really important. They just blend together, yeah. Uh, but Days Gone, um, though. They're I mean, rainy, yeah. Th- 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 this one's about a cool backwards cat wearing... He rides motorcycles. Bike riding zombies slaying bad boy. And it looks, you know... Oh, it also has the worst name avoiding calling them zombies. You know how, like, The Walking Dead freakers. called them... Yeah, Freakers. Yeah. Freakers? They're called Freakers. This. Personally, I'm curious. I mean, we've been talking a lot about, on episode one through three, about how AAA games have evolved into this sort of, like, behemoth scale uh, set of things that you have to spend years making. I'm kind of curious if they just started making this game back when they were like, everyone loves zombies. That's my and thought. That's my they thought. they put yeah. too much money into it, and now they're like, oh, uh-oh. Yeah. Gotta release yeah. it now. We gotta drop that's, it. That's absolutely my thought. So this game is unfortunately going to come out, or it's out by the well, time you're listening to Well, hold on, hold on. It could be good. It's the day one. We don't know. In well, fact, the reviews are already in. Int- <laughs> I would like to play it myself to find out, but... <laughs> The embargo dropped when the game came yeah, out. Yeah, that's not yeah. a good sign. And we should also mention really quick, this is the this, this game marks the beginning of a um, promo being run by GameStop, where they're basically, for the first time ever, allowing you to bring back a game um, <laughs> within 48 hours of purchase to get a complete 100% refund, no matter what you do to it. And the only game, the only game eligible for this promo is... Day is gone. That is. Why aren't they advertising that with the game? You know what? I have to imagine they didn't ask Sony if they could do this. I can't. I can't be sure. But I just. I have no way. They did it out of the kindness of their heart. I just don't believe that Sony would have seen this promo and said, "Yeah, that's okay." Slap yeah, Day is gone yeah. on there. They must have just been like, "Guys, 
we're losing so much money. Nobody comes to GameStop anymore. Just start giving them. You know, because here's the thing: GameStop makes 100% of the profit from a used game sale, whereas they only make a portion of the profit from a new game sale. So if they can sell the new game, have it back in 48 hours, and resell it as a used game, then they have won twice in a row. So I think GameStop has a big That's incentive a right now. That's conspiracy, man. Well, no, I mean, I think it's just the way it is. I think GameStop has a big incentive to to drive used game sales and disincentivize new ones. All these pre-owned trade-in programs and stuff to try and pull themselves out of this ever-sinking swamp that they're You've You've convinced in. me. I'm a Days Gone truther now. So let's... <laughs> yeah. So we could all play it for free, basically. Yeah. yeah. Drive to your local GameStop, and while you're there, check out uh, the newest fighting game craze. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11. This is a big one. This is... Yeah, yeah. Um, I love violence. Mortal Kombat walks a really weird line between, like, cartoonic, cartoonishly cathartic violence and, like, a disgusting power fantasy. There's such a thin line between these two things, and it constantly wobbles back and forth. And you know, Mortal Kombat is sort of the 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 violent video game. This started the whole discussion about oh, are video games negatively influencing our youth or something like that? Yeah. If you guys don't know, in fact, Mortal Kombat's release was um, along with some others like Night Trap and Death Race was in the I want to say the early nineties. Yeah, right? yeah, like ninety three yeah. was when the congressional hearing was. Was somewhat of a catalyst for the American public um, getting on this bandwagon where they were saying violent video games are like corrupting our youth. And it was part of what led to the formation of the game's rating system. So in 2019, Mortal Kombat is better looking, higher fidelity. So now you're still ripping out people's spines. We were doing it in high depth. So there's some weird stuff to unpack now. What's really interesting to me, yeah, that's the the thing. There's a lot to unpack because what's interesting to me is that- bones. Yes, many bones. People take issue with Mortal Kombat for its violence, but like we have had years of military shooters and nobody's had any issue with it. I can't think of the last time somebody's ripped someone's head off what? and then also their arm and then used it like a baseball bat to hit their head. Yeah, I was going to say so many we've lost didn't track do that. Of, we've lost track of like the amount of shootings. Well, I think there's a couple things happening. It's a bit of a horseshoe effect. I mean, one, if you think about in the early 90s when Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2 were causing such a stir, that was 16-bit graphics that were using photo scans. And in some cases, there wasn't even blood involved. And now it's you know, approaching near photorealism and the response is almost absent. And I don't know if that is evocative of just a general desensitization or the fact that there's, I think there's kind of this horseshoe effect where the closer you get to ultraviolence being presented realistically, but also still retaining that like early 90s comical presentation, it becomes exactly that. It becomes comical. Like, this is, well, this is what I mean by the arm is a baseball bat. It's almost like, yeah, it's gory, but it's so over the top. It's kind of just funny. This is Dude. what I mean by walking the line. And there are really funny fatalities, yeah. um, which is a weird thing to say because it is this Absolutely, sort of like, yeah. like all of Johnny Cage's fatalities are great. There's one where it's uh, it's like a movie set. And so like you'll hear somebody be like, oh, OK, cut, uh, do it again. You'll see the boom in the shot. They'll just retake the fatality different times and like gets it right. It's Do hysterical. Either of you remember the release of Postal Three, which was trying mm-hmm. its hardest to uh, build off the reputation that Postal has already given itself of being one of the most violent, gruesome, edgy, and edgy games. And also for for anyone that doesn't know, Postal was kind of like a satire of mass murder. Like you played. This sounds terrible. <laughs> and yeah, it does. You're right. Murder, I yeah. have not. I have not played the game. I personally find it pretty uncomfortable. But the original Postal was a top-down game where you played as 
basically an unhinged man going around murdering. And then as the mm-hmm. games progressed, they became more and more wacky to the point where they like turned into comedy farce. But they did not drop the premise, which makes them really controversial and in my opinion still pretty uncomfortable absolutely yeah. they're they're gross but yeah. there was no backlash to postal 3 simply because as alex said there's a lot of desensitization violent video games aren't nearly as much of a hot topic issue what's much more of a hot topic issue is oh no they clothed one of the women in the game oh that's another fun thing the fact yeah. that they yeah. uh the fact that they decided to make the women a little bit less like walking sex dolls and make them look a little bit like human beings. And so, gamers are mad. So Mortal, Mortal Kombat has They're some mad like, about this. wacky character designs. And one of them, one of the big ones in the controversy right now is this character named Shiva. Shiva is this like green, she's green skinned, right? Uh, I'm colorblind, so. Uh, brown. brown. Okay, brown skin. I was way off. Um, but like, but like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like alien forearmed monster with scary fang teeth. In the old Mortal Kombat games, Shiva's character design was... If you think of those like old Western fantasy pulp novels, like she was, you know, a creepy fantasy monster, but she was also wearing this like onesie leotard that just barely like I want to fuck that forearm covered woman. her boobs and went down, and it was it was weird. And so in now Mortal Kombat 11, they've kind of given Shiva a more like warrior esque design. She's wearing armor, kind of a tribal warrior appearance, the, and people are mad for some reason. The weirdest thing to me is that this is not a big stretch. They made her a little bit more presentable, and same with all the other characters. Yeah. They're slightly less sexualized. But, it, but it's just a little bit, and that's enough to get people mad. It's an interesting thing to think about, because I have spent my whole life defending violent video games, and I still will. I don't believe that they're necessarily a, a, a net ill on society, but when people start coming out and defending a game about tearing people's spines out and shit because they made the female characters not sexy enough, that to me does make me actually question if I even want to identify myself oh, no, with yeah. the people involved in this market. Because people have a negative image of video games as a toy for kids and especially for like adolescent boys yeah, no, who just want to shoot people. Th- the market is straight white like teenaged boys and i can talk to you know heaven's end defending why that's a narrow view but at the same time these people do not make it easy on us same with and they need to shut up there's also like a games has become sort of a a gateway into almost like white nationalism basically and that's this has been a discussion this is a this is a big thing to it's primarily through youtube though i mean but they kind of go hand in hand it's gaming YouTube. I mean, you think about the the whole Gamergate controversy and how that s- sparked so many grifters' careers. I mean, absolutely, but that's less tied to the nature of a video game itself and rather the way that they are talked about. It's, right. It's more of a uh, a way that games journalism is handled and responded to by these people less than the actual content of the video game. Right, and we actually talked about this on the very first episode of the show, which is something that I have spent a lot of time grappling with and thinking about lately is how to try and enjoy something as a piece of art while separating it from this kind of like wider context that it exists in. And obviously games don't exist in a vacuum. We cannot pretend that they do. Nothing does. Yeah. Nothing does. But like, I do not necessarily attach (laughs) the community being shitty to the general role of games in society, which is a tough, a tough thing to, a tough line to walk. Well, one, I want the community to curb itself, but at some point I'm glad to see people like NetherRealm try to change 
you know, like, hey, let's write the legacy of Mortal Kombat. Let's like try and approach this at least somewhat more maturely because the onus does fall a bit on the industry to create an atmosphere where games are promoting a better world and not just like space marines shooting guys and, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, yeah. you you brought up the the fact that like violent video games don't make people violent, and I agree with that. Yeah. But I think that there's also something to be said about how that can affect us as like a, our cultural perception. Oh yeah. As opposed to because there's definitely something to be said about that. But that's we don't have a whole lot of time. Um. So let's <laughs> we'll 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 bring that back another time. Uh. For now, let's we're talk gonna go about... to something a lot more um real life violence related yet simultaneously a lot more fun someone threw a crab at oh, hungry we're going box straight into crabs yo okay we're going straight into crabs All right hungry box when <laughs> this game came out in 2001 yeah <laughs> super smash brothers melee is <laughs> a nintendo fighting game oh we got to be careful people get mad at you for saying that uh oh you've probably heard of it this game's been going on for like 18 There's years of competitive math, play and it's, it's active math. community yeah. we're we're in the, we're in like the end game of smash comp- it's weird but anyways, this guy Hungrybox, he's the top player in the world. A lot of people right now kind of just don't like him, one, because he's not the best person, and two, because he's sort of become this dominant figure in the Smash competitive scene where no one can even play against him anymore. He's <laughs> proved himself to basically be the best. And so tell me what happened. This, this is incredible. Tell me what happened. Well, I, I gave it away already. It's someone at a, a very recent Smash tournament threw a crab at Hungrybox. And, uh, a raw crab. Just a, just a whole crab. Just a whole ass crab. An entire yep. crab. And of course he got banned. Of course he should. I'll advocate for banning a yeah, crab 100%. throwing man. Well, yeah, I but have this a... Is so, it's so good, too. Yeah. I, I have a friend who's super into Melee, and he talked about, like, yeah, that guy should get banned, but it sucks that he's going to get banned over the, like, people who are, like, assaulting women in the yes. Smash community, which is a big issue. Yep. Yeah. And it's like... Throw a crab yeah. at them. Yeah, they need crabs. Let's start throw throwing crabs, crabs at, at everyone. I mean, there's not a lot to unpack not here. Lot to say. Someone yeah. threw a crab at Hungry Crabs box. are going to be the symbol of rebellion in video games. Crabs are the symbol of the underdog. But like, here's <laughs> the thing, though. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to. As much as this is funny, I, I don't, don't want to advocate for it too oh, much. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Don't throw crabs. I don't think you should just go to public events and assault Unless people. Unless it's really, really funny. Well, in like, <laughs> wait a minute. Don't say on. that. Don't, no, don't I'm say joking. that. I'm joking. Uh, that's a joke. Do we no, have I a know. lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> calling, calling the law. But like, I don't know. Hungrybox didn't actually get hit by the crab. I'm just He got mad. He just got so. kind of mad about the crab. Yeah, I would get mad too if someone threw a crab at me There's after a, I honestly, won I one of the bigger be. Smash tournaments. I wouldn't be mad. It was whack. You don't even eat meat. Yeah, but it's a crab. <laughs> Crabs okay. aren't meat. Okay, but speaking of Smash Brothers and not not just about crabs, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which came out last November, it's the fifth game in the Smash Brothers series, just recently became, according to a Nintendo financial release, the best-selling fighting game of all time. Yeah, this is this is wild to me. Um, yeah. Apparently, Nintendo has had one of their best fiscal years since the launch of the Wii, which if you were around for that, you know how how big of a cultural zeitgeist that was. Yes. And actually, the, the console, the Switch actually just recently outsold the N64, too, by a pretty decent margin, which is impressive. There's one thing that I didn't get the opportunity to do the math on, but I'm really curious about. Would Smash Ultimate beat out the collective sales of every version of Street Fighter 2? I don't know. I don't have a source in that, but I'm going to say that I the, doubt. The ones that were on the list were Mortal Kombat 9 and Super Smash Bros. Brawl for the Wii. So these were so the ones that it beat out. Street Fighter 2 wasn't Kombat even on the list. 9? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. It was number two? It was number two or number three. That's shocking to me. That game, yeah, really. I thought, did not perform very well, but I guess I just kind of missed the boat on that one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I haven't heard much uh, yeah. buzz about that one. I mean, it was a big, it was a big thing for casuals because it was for casual, but like yeah, no, casual fighting game players. You're were throwing some in shade, calling people casual for real. No, but in terms of this being the best fiscal year since 2009, I think that almost is the more interesting. Oh, absolutely, part of the story yeah. because. I feel especially like, uh, after the 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 fall of the Wii U, which was a, a horrible failure. Yeah, I think Nintendo is in the midst of uh, this is you know people have been saying this since 2017, but I really do think we're seeing Nintendo emerge into this kind of like Nintendo Renaissance, as pretentious as that sounds. I mean, I mean that doesn't sound pretentious, but I want to go back to saying, of course this is going to be their best fiscal year since 2009 because the Wii U didn't do well. That's true. That's yeah, true. it's a low That's bar. True. It's true. But they had other things happening in that. I mean, the 3DS peaked after 2010, I want to say, and, and that was a big deal. And it's not like people stopped buying Wiis when the Wii U was out. They probably didn't buy as much of them. But Nintendo, when Nintendo dipped into a lower period financially, they were still Nintendo, you know? Yeah. Like, they were still doing fine because they're a juggernaut. But... The Switch absolutely has been like the first time in quite a while that Nintendo's actually stepped up to the plate and and like, you know, kind of recaptured the fire that they've had in the past. Rightfully so. The Switch is a beautiful piece yeah, of hardware. The Switch is a fantastic Yeah, console. get you one of those if you don't have one. It's good stuff. I know so many people who like don't play games or care about games. Shout out to Danny who uh, own a Switch. That's just like a that's just like a thing now. You know, that's the real power of Nintendo what they've always done. I mean, if you think about when the Wii dropped, it was Wii Sports bringing families together and removing the like barrier to entry and then with the DS, you know, they launched Brain Age and they got people's what, grandpas playing what's video really, games. What's really interesting to me about the Switch is they didn't do that marketing campaign. Yeah, not really, but they did do It's a, just a really successful console. But it's also a console that has been marketed in, okay, like we live in an era where the other two dominant consoles, one of them is marketed as a all-encompassing media platform, and the other is marketed as like the sleek black box for gamers. Yeah, I was and wondering then now the which one was which when you said <laughs> all-in-one right? media console. Well, it's called the Xbox One, you know? Because uh, remember go, when they yeah. launched the Xbox One, they were like, it's going to have cable TV. Oh, that's right. And it has a Blu-ray that. player. And, and connect always. And has yeah, connect. Yeah. And you can watch, you can Skype your friends. And then Sony is like, our console's for gamers. And then Nintendo comes out with a Switch and just is like, you guys like Mario? You like Zelda? You want, you want to take it with you? You want to go on the bus? You want to yeah, play on Mario? It, honestly, play the on Switch. The roof? <laughs> yeah, have the rooftop parties yeah. in, the, in the ads. But the Switch being portable, I think, is a big thing, too. That's why it was doing so well in yeah, Japan, mainly. Yeah, some of their two main markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Handheld yeah. and their console. Which they both have yeah. a corner on. Well, handheld, particularly, but... That's yeah. why it's doing so well in Japan, too, is because, like, portable consoles do better there overall. This is just a, a short anecdote, but I find it really interesting. If you live in America, it's probably quite easy to think that something like the 3DS died a long time ago. But Alex and I were in Japan in 2017, and we saw, I want to say, upwards of 10 3DSs every day. Yeah. You see them all over the place. You see kids actually using the camera app to take pictures. That sounds adorable. Yeah. And like businessmen on the trains playing them. That sounds and adorable. Yeah. I yeah, just, yeah. you know, Nintendo's handheld side hasn't really landed in America, I think, for a lot of reasons. A big one is because we're an automobile culture. And you actually, when you're going to play a handheld game, you're going to be sitting down in a stationary place. Gotcha anyways. games do so much better in Japan. Yes, because they're a commuter culture. There's pe yeah. People have to commute in the morning whereas in america it's like if you're playing a handheld you're either sitting down in your house playing it or you're sitting down outside playing it but either way you're not moving so there's no point to it 
you know. That makes a lot of sense. I actually, I never even considered that. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so the Switch, I feel like, was a really natural move for Nintendo. Like, hey, how can we continue our, our, our home console pillar while also being able to connect to the market we've already fostered with, you know, all these, like, salary men who just want to play Mario on the train? And, yeah, yeah. I think they struck a really good balance with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The numbers prove it. Speaking of games on the Switch, you guys ever heard of this thing called Fortnite? Uh, no. Can What's you Fortnite? Well, it's a hundred guys uh-huh. drop out of a bus. Wait, a, a bus? A bus, a flying bus. Wait, oh, wait, it's in wait, the air. How does the bus fly? The, well, you said a hundred. A hundred. Okay, but I I hate to go back into our typical <laughs> Emerald Games cast doom and gloom news story, but we do have to talk about what we've talked about every week, which is crunch time and uh, Fortnite. Uh, some stories coming out of Epic Games are uh, the most recent example of this. Fortnite for a while has been um, really successful but one of the main points of their success is that they frequently update and constantly add new free content on a rotating basis and apex legends another game which is competing for the same market has been does it really though i, well, I would argue that it doesn't it's a free battle royale game sure but that that's a whole nother can of worms though that's true but but the point i was going to make with it is that people have been giving apex legends a little bit of flack for releasing content a lot slower and having a much more spaced out roadmap. But as this recent news story points to, the pressure to release Fortnite updates so constantly and so rapidly has led to, you know, according to the story, months of intense crunch time, which are stories that have not come out of Respawn Entertainment about Apex. So... You know what's what's really sad to me about this is that do you remember how in the first week of this podcast we talked about how Bioware was sort of like afraid about their game not succeeding almost. Yeah. And that's why they did Crunch. And now Epic is relishing in the success by doing Crunch. Suffering from success. It's it's no matter it, it's not like, oh, we do it in a because it doesn't work or because it does work. It's just a constant. So here's a quote from the article. Um it says Although contract staff were paid overtime, developers report a culture of fear in which they were expected to pull long hours as part of their job. Some reported suffering health issues after working consecutive months of 70-hour work weeks. And, and the worst part is this, is this isn't uncommon. We hear stories like this yeah. all the time. In yeah. fact, we've talked about one, I think, on every episode. Yeah, um, yeah. They, yeah. And it's not even like we're pulling from it an archive. They keep happening, happening every week before we record. They keep coming out. In fact, we didn't even talk about it, but Mortal Kombat 11 was also the subject of a, a, a numerous uh, Twitter threads where employees were talking about working months on end, uh, working weekends and working overtime and sleeping less than four hours a night. So this is kind of the thing that keeps happening. And what's so fascinating to me about it is that especially, I mean, Fortnite is almost the perfect example for the reason this problem persists because Fortnite is played by so many people And so few of them care about who makes the game. This is like high schoolers, middle schoolers. They can get away with this because their player base is not really that interested in the behind the scenes. Everyone's been able to get away with it for years. This has been an an industry-wide thing. Hey, gamers, how about instead of getting mad that your favorite video game girl's boobs aren't big enough or it's on a different digital storefront, you start like caring about the people making the game. But the question is, what do you do? They always say vote with your wallet, right? So does that seem to you guys like enough because the problem is these games continue to sell well. I didn't buy Red Dead Redemption 2. I can't vote with my wallet. That's the thing. This is hard for me to grapple with because 
I did buy Red Dead 2, and I did really like it. And I for, for context, there was another story a while ago about Rockstar having a similar issue, the publishers of, and developers of Red Dead 2. Yeah, a game that, that employees reported working uh, consecutive 100-hour-plus work weeks, sleeping under their desks, being not necessarily directly asked to stay, but working in a culture where if you did not stay and come in on Saturday, you were seen as not contributing in the same way that other employees were. There was so, an anecdote about a guy who just recently had a kid and wanted to take weekends off to see his newborn child and had to like really fight and struggle to make that happen and wasn't able to some weeks. It's awful. Yeah. So I, I find it <laughs> impossible to, for someone like me to vote for my, with my wallet because I generally don't purchase $60 games. The games that are always the subject of this kind of crunch. It seems that most people just don't care, though. Fortnite isn't a $60 game, though. Fortnite's free. I know, but most of the games that are the subject of it are. See, but this is why this is so difficult for me, because I do care, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, and I wonder if it, if it makes me a bad agent in this system that I still bought Red Dead, and I still played it, and I still liked it. I mean, one part of me says, I want to honor the work that these people put in over the course of eight years to create this product, and... Also, I just want to play the game. I mean, yeah, you don't want to encourage, and I don't want to encourage. That's why I think it's so important to raise voices about this happening. I don't want to encourage these practices. But on the flip end, how would you feel if you were a developer that worked for eight years under crunch and then your game flopped? And so, it, I don't know. It's a weird well, thing. Well, Bioware in particular, they mentioned they did want their game to flop because yeah, they wanted to yeah. prove that the game that developing games like that doesn't work. Well, no, I think they they said they wanted Dragon Age Inquisition to flop. Yeah. It wasn't Andromeda, um, but it was because, the, or sorry, it wasn't... Um, Anthem. Anthem. But it was because they wanted to, to have their superiors understand that these conditions were not okay. The problem is the game still sold well and reviewed well, which does not encourage the people in power to change their ways, which is why I am like, I don't want this to continue. And so for me, I wish people could just expect less from games we talked a lot about it on i want to say episode two mm -hmm. or maybe episode one just the idea that the solution here i think is to not care if the games have realistic snow footprints and temperature reflections like it should you just make a game that's fun to play and works well and you don't need to force people to work for years to make them like these monumental things there are so many people out there uh teams of people making games working less than 40 hours a week that are fanta fantastic, that rival those of AAA games that cause so much, that cost so much money with so much man hours and so much human suffering. Like, th there there are other options out there. It's not like... Yeah, here's something else for this story. I'll read it really quick. Another source said, I've had friends come to me and say, I can't take this anymore. I've had friends break down in tears. The crunch is constant. We worked typically 50 or 60 hour weeks and upwards of 70 hour weeks on occasion. One source who worked as a contractor in QA said, if I got to the end of an eight-hour eight hour workday and I turned to my supervisor to ask if I had to stay, they'd often look at me as if I was actively stupid. Officially, you don't have to keep working, but in reality, sit back down. We'll be here for a while. If you didn't do overtime, that was a mark against your character. So, you know, it's if just a culture of widespread fear that isn't just like on paper. It's not like this is something that just unions can come in and change the laws because a lot it's not even really 
in the contract. Well, unions it's can just, come in and change a lot, and they should, and yes, they should. Yes. But I'm I'm just saying it's not like it's not like on paper these studios are saying you're going to work for a hundred hours. You know, it's it's just in the culture. It's not on paper. Sure, that's sure. what I'm saying. It's on the company's back to make this shit stop happening. Yeah, but please, for the love of God, don't buy these games. If the developers themselves want the game to flop in order to prove that it's that development like this does not work, then please honor that. Don't buy the game. And there are so many other games out there. Yeah, and and that's 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 why I'm saying it's hard for me because I'm you know I don't play Fortnite and I'm I don't buy I didn't buy Anthem I didn't buy Andromeda. A lot of these games are very easy to ignore and feel good about ignoring. But it was difficult for me to grapple with the reality of Red Dead Redemption 2 when I felt like I had been waiting for that game for so long that I was willing to buy into it even knowing the situation. And I think a lot of people are like me or they just don't know. And so it's something I've been thinking a lot more about and definitely considering next time this happens, I, I probably won't take the plunge in the same way. Because I, I think I've learned a lot more about this since starting this podcast than I did know before. This is one reason why it's I'm really chilling. looking forward to the, the, all the news updates coming out of people mm-hmm. saying, hey, here are our experiences, because that will hopefully make it so that people, this will be in the public eye more, and people will understand that, hey, maybe you don't need to, maybe this isn't a good idea. Honestly, maybe things need to Fortnite, change. Fortnite, Anthem, Red Dead, what else? Oh, there's there's plenty. Andromeda is like that. I'm reading a book right now called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which is 10 chapters. Jason Schreier, almost, right? Jason Schreier, um, Almost every chapter is about a situation like this. A lot of them are pretty positive, but, you know, it goes back and forth. But that's a great book if you want to learn more about crunch culture. He's actually currently writing a new book that is specifically about this problem. Instead of touching on it, the whole book is going to be about it. There's no release date announced on that yet, but keep your eyes out. He's a great writer. I just really hope we start to see a change soon. The real solution here? Go play some indie games. Or Yeah. There's some amazing amazing indie games even ones that took a long time to develop there's passion projects projects made by friends you can feel wholesome feel morally okay mm-hmm. and have a good time and they're cheaper yeah they're yeah. great go play hollow knight go play stardew valley baba is you baba is you baba is you is really good i love baba is you yeah you guys want to talk about a happy story a good Wait, one we have one we yeah, have do we one. have those we have a happy story i already said the thing about the crab I, that's, <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a mixed story no I want to talk about a happy story, and that is the game which Japanese magazine Famitsu conducted a poll with their readers to find out the best 20 games of the last 30 years, and they picked a really interesting number one. Really interesting. A couple of them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In fact, I kind of want to just talk about the list in general, not in depth, but I think it's it's pretty interesting. Absolutely. So for, for context... The reason that Famitsu conducted this poll is that the day this podcast goes up on Tuesday, actually, it's going to be April 30th, which is the final day of Japan's Heisei era. Japan's calendar is dictated by who currently sits on the imperial throne. Japan has had Emperor Akihito on the throne for 30 years. And that's, you know, since 1989, which means that's pretty much the entire adolescence of the games industry. That sees the SNES, sees N64 huge chunk of video game history and happened during that time he's stepping down on tuesday which means japan is entering a new era first time an emperor has abdicated guys i don't know if it's the first time ever or the first time in centuries but it's certainly like a pretty unprecedented thing for the modern era but so that's why the distinction of 30 years exactly so this is the end of the 30-year heisei era we're entering the reiwa era and um so famitsu asked their readers what do you think are the top 20 games 
of the past 30 years. Fascinating list because, like I said, the past 30 years is kind of like the whole history of games, uh, excluding like the really early stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So the top 20, I'm going to start from 20 and move up to one for suspense. Okay, number 20. Final Fantasy XI and Pokemon Diamond and Pearl were actually tied for this spot. Number 19, Final Fantasy XV. Weird choice, yeah. but okay. You know, you do you. Number 18, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, also tied with Kingdom Hearts. The original? Yes. Interesting. But then number 17 is also listed as Kingdom Hearts. So I guess Famitsu's got some implicit bias going on here because they made that choice. But they didn't make the choice for number 20, so who knows what they're doing. Um, <laughs> number 16, Monster Hunter Portable 2nd G. Cool. 15, Tactics Ogre. 14, Splatoon 2. 13, Mother 2. 12, Suikoden 2. 11's a weird one. Vainglory. You guys know Vainglory? I don't know Vainglory. I don't know Vainglory. It's no. a mobile MOBA game that's only been out for a few years. Is I mean, sounds like it's had a pretty big cultural impact to make it on this list. I think it stands out because, like what we talked about, their commuter culture is more attracted to cell phone games. Has it come and, west yet? Yeah, no, I think it's actually a Western game. Oh. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a weird choice, but I, you know, I respect that. Sure. Number 10, Xenogears. Number 9, Dragon Quest V. Number 8, Pokemon Red, Green, Blue, Yellow. All listed as one game. Number 7, Final Fantasy X. Number 6, Ocarina of Time. The top five are where things got a little weird for me, kind of. Because number five is Okami, which is listed above Ocarina of Time, which is a surprise. I, I love Okami, but I didn't think it would get that kind of recognition. Yeah, especially not from Famitsu. Um, but Final Fantasy VII is number four. Okay, expected. Three yeah. might surprise you. Do you know what it is? I believe, if I remember right, it is Near Automata. Yeah, it is, which is kind of interesting to me because that's a pretty recent game. And um, But number two is even more recent. It's... Breath of the Wild, number two game of the last 30 years. All right. I, I, I don't know if I'd agree, but. I know. don't think I would agree at all, but I would certainly put it somewhere in the top 20. Oh, I yeah. Think I, I wouldn't I, I put would. it yeah. at number two. Um, I all had... right. Give us the give us the big reel. What is number Japan's one. number one game of the last 30 years? I would ask you to guess, but I think you both already know. Yeah, so... I, I see the. Yeah. We all have the, the articles. Pulled. It is Chrono Trigger for the SNES. This is an interesting choice for me because I always thought that this game was more of a cult classic. Like it had, it didn't do as financially well, but it had a small, like loyal following to it. Having yeah. it be like a lot of people voting in to say that this is one of the most influential games of the last 30 years is a shock, I think. Well, it's an excellent game. I, I haven't played it since I was in high school, but as someone who grew up in the sixth gen of consoles, I think I, you know, I had a Genesis when I was born, but I grew up with the GameCube and PS2. So I was used to 3D gaming. Going back to play a game that's, you know, that lo-fi and old, it actually still did have some jaw-dropping moments, which is not something I can say for most games that that they're that old that I played at that time because I was, you know, more used to, like, bigger games. But it, it holds up. But I'm curious, how many of the games on this list are RPGs? Can uh, You've got the list pulled up. Just do a little count for us. You, and you said it holds yeah. up, but does it hold up enough to be the most influential game of the past 30 years? Well, okay, let's see. Andy's question is really interesting. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 14, so 14 entries out of the 20 are RPGs. And that, you know, it's a Japanese list. Yeah, so. I was going to say, it's very, yeah, Japanese. It's very Japanese. If this was a Western list, it would not look like this at all. I'm just curious if I were to The markets you. are totally different. This is a very difficult, very difficult questions. But just as a quick answer, if this list was pulled in America, I'm not asking for your number one of the last 30 years, but if this list was an American list, what do you think, like what games do you think the public would put in the top three? 
Ocarina of Time would be up there probably. Minecraft. Yeah. Minecraft yep. would definitely deserve a top three spot. How do you guys feel about people putting Skyrim in there? Do you think it'll, it'll, happen? it'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. I, I think it would be up there. I don't agree with it, but I think it's definitely one of the most influential games. Not one of the best games. This this is a list of what people believe the best games to be, not right. the most influential. But I mean, a lot of people think Skyrim is one yeah, of the best games. Yeah, a lot games. of people love Skyrim. Uh, I understand that. Halo 3 would be on there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Halo 3. You. And that's really all we've got for today. In the past, we've done a game at the end. And oh, I have, a, I have a game for you guys. Uh, what's the best video game of all time? Ooh, Pictionary oh. on the NES. Pictionary on the NES. Uh, that's incorrect. The correct answer is Jumping Flash for the PS1. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, I've, I've been Alex. I've been Nolan. I've been Andrea. And don't forget to tell Wait your dog second. that you love them. Wait a second. I didn't say what the email is yet, you coward. Sabotaging my show, Andrea. Our email is... Uh... And good at dailyemerald.com if you have questions or just you know stupid things you want to say to us please email them there we'll talk about them on the show and then Andy now I will allow you to say your closing statement <sighs> coffee isn't very good coffee sucks Good night.